Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Bavarian Podcast Works. My name is Jake Fenner bringing you to this podcast almost as always. We are joined today by our Twittermeister, Tom Adams, who is not only a contributor to this podcast, but also a writer at Bavarian Bavarian Football Works. Com. Tom, how are you doing today? I am very good. Thanks for asking. Very happy to be back on the podcast. I know it's been a brief while since I was last on with Chuck recapping the ICC uh, and a few transfers over the summer. Uh, very thrilled that the season is back in full swing. Maybe would have liked a better first result, but I know that we're going to get into that in the podcast. So without further ado, let's crack on. Absolutely. So the season started with hope in the eyes of Bavarians and Bayern Munich fans alike all over the world as we hoped for a good result against Hertha Berlin and very quickly within a matter of two minutes after the 30th the 30th minute mark that hope very quickly vanished from everybody's eyes so it was just an overall disappointing result really Uh, Robert Lewandowski opened the scoring in the 24th minute ended up leaving with a brace after a penalty converted in the 60th minute but before he could do that, Dodi Luca Bacchio and Marco Grujic from Hertha scored two goals in the 36th and 38th minutes. So a very, very, I would say, lackluster performance from Bayern Munich. But there were two performances in this game, one from Bayern, one from Hertha. I personally think that Hertha did a very good job coming into the Allianz Arena, understanding that there was a challenge to be laid down by the German soccer giants. And they rose to meet that challenge, and they walked away uh, stealing two points from Bayern Munich. So, Tom, what did you think of Hertha's performance this game? You know, I think this was a great debut performance for uh, Anta Chovic. I believe that's how you say his name is Chovic, not Kovic. Um, it kind of set up in a 3-5-2 of sorts with, of course, uh, Vidad Abisevic. And then I know we all probably hate him as Bayern fans by now because Dodi Lukabakio just always seems to find a way to score against us, regardless of what team he's playing for. I, I guarantee I have no qualms saying that he'll, he'll probably play for another Bundesliga team and probably score against us again. Uh, but again, I think uh, this game had a lot of shades of you know, kind of like a Bayern uh, Gladbach game from last October, um, you know, where Dieter Hecking had his side set up very compact, um, somewhat bunkered down defensively. And after Lewandowski got that um, opening goal off of a nice cross from Serge Gnabry, you thought, okay, smooth sailing, life is going to be good. Um, the Bayern we know are back, you know, all the kinks from preseason are out. And, you know, maybe we'll uh, score some more goals here. And as you said, those two goals from uh, Hertha Berlin came kind of quick, 36th and uh, 38th minute. And just kind of just two very bizarre goals. You know, on the first one, Luka Bakia picks up possession. No one closes him down at this point. I believe Muller was already on a a yellow card and made a very, very half-hearted attempt to try and uh, strip him. And then no one's contesting him, giving him too much space rips the shot, and it kind of took like a dual deflection off of Abisevic and uh, Niklas Sula, who were kind of close together. From then on, you know, there's nothing Neuer could do uh, with that shot. The trajectory changed kind of aggressively. Uh, there's no way he could readjust on time. And I knew when that goal went in with that deflection that it was going to be one of those days, and Bayern were really going to have to try and grind out the result. You definitely feel hard done for Benjamin Pavard, who got kind of whacked in the side of the head 
by Marco Grujic in the build-up to Hertha's uh, second goal, and then Ibisevic played him that little um, lob pass. was uh, very close to being offside, but held his run perfectly. Not really much Neuer could do. He had to come out. Grujic took one touch around. Uh, bang, and all of a sudden it's 2-1. And I think that that goal really illustrates the type of performance that Berlin wanted to have, you know, getting under Bayern's skin, as I said, staying compact defensively with that with that 3-5-2, a very packed midfield, uh, Derrida, Grujic, and uh, Duda kind of forming that triangle in the middle uh, to really frustrate Bayern and put bodies in front of the back line. Um, and they did it to great effect. And, you know, the 2-2, as I'm sure all of our readers, all of Bayern fans will feel, it felt like a loss because we weren't able to get it across the line. Bayern finished this game with 70% possession, 17 shots and 7 on target, committing only 6 fouls, and getting 12 corners, Hertha naturally finishing with 30% possession. They had six shots and three of those six were on target and two of them were goals leaving Manuel Neuer with only one save to Runa Jarstein's five saves so Tom what do you think this uh Hertha team did to make them so hard to contain when it came to the final third even though they lacked possession throughout this entire game well, one thing I will say is that uh, Lewandowski's early goal kind of did change everything. Berlin definitely had to start to chase the game after that point, and Luka Bakia's goal, once they got that equalizer, kind of gave them that flexibility to kind of change the way they were pressing, change the way they were sitting back, and kind of contrasting between the two. And obviously, from a Bayern perspective, when uh, Luka Bakia got that goal, and then uh, Grujic shortly thereafter, it, this is when this happens to Bayern, I, I almost feel like it's it, it's flipping between composed, calm, expressive Bayern uh, into frenetic, frantic, and, you know, oh my God, we're chasing the game. Like, what's going on? Why are we losing type of type of Bayern? That, like, every time we go behind, especially against a team that clearly isn't better than us on paper, we, we start to play this, uh, this forced uh, style of football where everything just seems disjointed. You know, players aren't staying calm and composed. Players are making rash decisions. Uh, personally, I don't think uh, Nico Kovac's substitutions in the second half really did us any favors. I mean, why you're bringing on Renato Sanchez for Serge Gnabry, who was one of our better players on the game, if you recall, he had a chance in the second half towards the end of the sale just over um, the crossbar. Why he's making that substitution, you know, I'm not really sure. And But just getting those those two those two goals for Berlin, you know, I, I'm sure they would have taken a goal, any style, you know, as scrappy as it may be, as lucky as it might be with... Um, for example, Luka Bakia's ridiculous deflection that gave Neuer no chance. And I think that almost caught them by surprise. I don't think they uh, were expecting to score that early on or to even score two goals. Uh, but I think those two goals gave them such a valuable cushion to stay even more compact, use both uh, Ibisevic and Luka Bakio very well on the counterattack. Um, in one, you have Ibisevic, a more physical presence, not as quick as Luka Bakio, but can hold up the ball, play well with his back to goal. And if I recall correctly... Um, Kovic wanted to use as much legs as he could out of those two guys. And I believe they were uh, two of the substitutions that came out uh, for Berlin. So um, Kovic really got uh, all the bang for his buck with those two guys. Uh, and his game plan worked to perfection from his point of view. So I think the only thing that may be even more incredible than Bayern only coming out of this was a draw was that Hertha's very next game was a 3-0 loss to Wolfsburg. So I find it a little bit incredible that Bayern couldn't be able to bring out all three of those points 
But Hertha may have a little bit more luck this weekend, and I can't even believe I'm saying this because their upcoming game is against the team Bayern played last week in Schalke. A hat trick from Robert Lewandowski, which is incredibly disappointing because it took him two games to get three goals in one. He's obviously clearly slipping. He's not the player that we obviously thought he was, and I personally think that we should sell him immediately. He should definitely have at least two hat tricks in him now, so uh, shame on you, Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a debut day in uh, Gelsenkirchen for Philippe Coutinho and Ivan Perisic. Coutinho put a couple shots on net. Uh, Perisic wasn't able to be as offensively productive, but then again, both of them did come onto the pitch later into the game. But as we will get into just after this question, uh, those great performances did not do this game justice in the worst way possible. But before we go into that, uh, Tom, what do you think of this performance from the from the man of the match himself, uh, Robert Lewandowski? Yeah, I mean, of course, he's, he's what, 31? Oh, he's well past it. I think all those people who are doubting him just need to go ahead and take a look at the Bundesliga scoring table right now. Five goals from two matches is you know, a, a mark that he hasn't got off to in a while. This was just vintage Robert Lewandowski, you know, clinical. We had that trademark stutter step up for the penalty kick, buries it in the bottom left corner, Newbold dives the other direction, no chance, um, and his trademark little uh, knee snapping technique that he always does with his uh, free, free kicks where he gets it over the wall and dip back down uh, quickly. Um, and he I was, was actually explaining that um, in a recent interview um, after the game where he was uh, saying he wasn't able to practice that technique for uh, quite a bit of time because he had um, persistent patella problems. But so it was good to see him. And then his last goal, nice run uh, and a fantastic first touch off of a um, basically just a, um, a lateral pass with a, a decent amount of pace from Kingsley Coman completely befuddled the defender. And what was impressive about this, too, is the ball was still kind of under his feet. Um, and I know a lot of people who actually uh, are listening who have played most of their life, they know when the ball is underneath you, it's very difficult to sort your feet out that quick and at the same time get enough pace on the ball. And that's exactly what he did. Bottom right corner, rounded out the performance, gave Newble uh, no chance. And this this is just the Lewandowski that we all know and love. And this was just Lewandowski at his best. And I really hope he continues on in this vein. Two interesting facts. Now, for people that are not fans of Niko Kovac, he is now 16 games unbeaten in the Bundesliga, carrying over from last season. So, uh, high haters, you're kind of wrong. Uh, and then uh, Lewandowski, immediately after that half-trick performance, was kind of disappointed in himself almost saying that he knows he can be better though I don't know how much better he can get with three goals in one game now let's move on to this absolutely boring game there were so many times in this game where I just felt the need to uh, go downstairs, make myself a cup of coffee because I needed to keep myself awake. And then by the time I got upstairs, you know, nothing changed because it was a lot of Byron possessing. It was a lot of flopping from both sides, but a lot more so from Schalke and a lot of complaints from Schalke as well. Weston McKenney really seemed like the only positive player on that Schalke side, uh, not really complaining that much and still being able to 
produce offensively, which is shocking considering he's naturally a defensive midfielder. 34% possession for Schalke. Uh, they outshot Bayern by one in overall shots, 11 to 10. But they've only put two shots on target, both of which were easily saved by Manuel Neuer. And it was kind of a bit of a rough and tumble game. Both sides went into the double digit marks for fouls. So, Tom, uh, two questions. What are your thoughts on uh, Schalke's dreadful performance in this game? And what do you think this means for their season ahead? You know, I think David Wagner knew exactly uh, what he was doing and what he was up against, despite Bayern um, having a, a relatively poor result against Hertha Berlin and uh, Schalke drawing their first match uh, against Borussia Mönchengladbach. I think he knew it, it, exactly what he wanted to do, um, came out with a 4-3-3, and I'm sure the instructions were to stay very compact, uh, thwart everything that Bayern had to offer them. As you mentioned, you know, uh, a lot of Bayern possession without much penetration, without much to show for it. It. Um, and that's kind of what you're going to get. And that's so much of what, uh, you know, us Bayern fans have been frustrated when we play teams that we're significantly better than on paper. You know, they can really just get under your skin if they have that compact shape, you know, that defensive bunker. You know, um, it, it takes that little bit of creativity, that that step up and sharpness and quickness quickness rather of the uh, of the passing to kind of break that down. And, you know, a place like the Veltons Arena, I um, as a big fan of the Bundesliga as a whole. Um, in addition to Bayern, I absolutely love watching matches there. I think they produce one of the best atmospheres. The acoustics in that place are pretty ridiculous with the uh, three quarters closed roof that they have. And with that said, you know, as you said, every little thing that was even a sniff of an infringement or a foul uh, from Bayern, you know, the, that just basically sold uh, to all of the Schalke fans and they were building on that. And I think that kind of all metastasize I should say especially with the uh the two incidents where there were non-handball calls I believe the first one was on Benjamin Pavar um on a corner kick he kind of spun round when he was in the air and his arm was relatively far away from his body uh the ball did strike at Schalke were very vociferously uh protesting for a uh, a penalty kick uh, and then the other one was after uh, Ivan Perisic had come on he was on the end of a wall uh free kick struck his outstretched arm and again nothing doing from the referee for uh, for Schalke. And I think Wagner having to make some substitutions, uh, he, he brought off, I mean, Harit, Rahman, Mascarell for some more attacking options. Their midfield became less compact. They really had to chase for it. Um, and I think that was slightly played into Bayern's hands. I think when Schalke were uh, throwing numbers forward, it really kind of exposed those holes and those half spaces in between the back line um, and the midfield, especially when Alaba and Pavard were, were bombing forward. But Again, that third goal, I think, was just a result of uh, Schalke exhausting themselves, trying to chase. Um, Schalke, I think, you know, didn't have the easiest schedule coming into this season away at Mönchengladbach, home to Bayern. But um, I do like David Wagner. I have a lot of respect for him. I do hope he turns it around. I would hate to see Schalke have another disastrous season like they have uh, the past two seasons. But, yeah, nonetheless, um, fingers crossed for them. Absolutely. So after those two recaps, we'll be looking at the game coming up this weekend when we return from this short break. We will return to the podcast right after this message. Welcome back. And now we are going to go ahead and look ahead to the upcoming game in our segment, Dare Ausblick, where we will look at what is uh, on the radar for Bayern Munich. Our next game is against 
Mainz. Um, I'm really struggling to think of anything positive here to say about Mainz. Well, they've played three games so far. Two in the league and one in the Pokal. They got knocked out, <laughs> losing 2 nothing to Kaiserslautern in the Pokal. And in their two games in the Bundesliga, they've dropped all six points to Freiburg and Borussia Mönchengladbach. They've been outscored 6-1. to one. They are currently dead last in the league. They have a lot of injury problems. It doesn't even seem like they've shown up this season at all, which may be a little bit harsh to say, but it's clear that there's something not working even though we are two games into the season, a team that was predicted to go down this year is already off to a very rough start. So, Tom, do you think Bayern will be able to put this game away easily like they should and try your hardest not to tell people what minute they should turn the TV off? Well, that's the thing. You know, I'd be very hard-pressed to say that Bayern can't get the job done. Uh, but what I but I would say, um, while I do expect a uh, a good win by a good margin from Bayern at the Allianz Arena uh, against Mainz, what I've noticed, um, you know, Sandro Sforch does have it up against him. I do personally think that um, with the two promoted teams, Mainz are going to be one of those teams that are um, going to be yet again facing another relegation battle. Um, I'm not sure the exact quite age um, of their squad, but I think their opening two matches have shown um, that they definitely do have one of the youngest squads in the Bundesliga. They have not been able to keep that composure. If you look, uh, as you mentioned, six goals conceded. Uh, if you look at the greater majority of them, all of them against Freiburg, um, 81st minute from Lucas Euler, uh, 83rd minute from Jonathan Schmidt, um, and then, of course, a uh, uh, Luko Waldschmidt penalty in the 87th minute. Um, and then if you flip uh, to week two um, against uh, Munchen Gladbach at home um, after a nice uh, Robin Quaison header to um, put them in front, uh, uh, they did concede an uh, equalizer, uh, Stefan Leiner. And then again, two more goals in the closing stages of the game, one from Alisson Playa in the 77th minute, and then Another just two minutes later in the 79th minute from new signee uh, Briel Mbolo from FC Schalke. Uh, and to me, that kind of points the finger to, um, as I said earlier, the composure and not being able to stay level-headed. You know, the age-old saying you have to stay focused um, for 90 minutes. And I think the positives they can take uh, are the good shape that they hold, the chances they do create in the opening stages of the match, but that's something that they have to be able to maintain, especially against a team like Bayern. I do expect Bayern to uh, keep forcing the issue and break them down, and once that first goal comes, I think it could be uh, potentially floodgates open for Lewandowski and company, uh, especially with the, um, you know, such a young mind squad, and, you know, I, I think that uh, they have a tendency to kind of self-combust when one or two things go wrong, especially if they get scored against in quick succession like they have been in the opening two matches. You know a team is definitely bound for relegation when the first thing that is positive out of your mouth is, oh, well, they have a good shape. 
Like that's that's not gonna be anything when Mainz is losing seven nothing to us and to Dortmund and I may have just jinxed it already, but you know what? With this team and their current roster, I wouldn't be too shocked. Uh, their best player is Jean-Philippe Meteta. He is out with a torn meniscus until the very end of October, so he's not going to be helping them out at all. Uh, meanwhile, they're having to rely on players like Florian Müller and Levin Ustanali, uh, and like you mentioned, Robert Kaisan, who is the only goal scorer, and he has only scored one. So I don't know if you have any players that you expect a good performance out of, but I will ask this question, and again, this may be a little harsh, but do you think it's too early to call it a season for Mainz? You got your best player out for the first three months of the season. You're already dead last. You got outscored 6-1. to one. You're knocked out of the pokal. Is there anything for them to look forward to? Well, Jake, I, I don't think that we can uh, keep talking about Mainz without mentioning their Carnival jersey, which could very well be their most valuable player of the season. There has to be someone out there who's recorded a statistic on what their record is like when they're wearing those kits. Uh, most recently, I'm sure everyone knows what we're talking about, uh, those checkered jerseys of uh, white, yellow, red, and blue that remind us all of the infamous Wonder Bread packaging. I mean, those things are absolutely amazing. Maybe when we get into it, um, Bavarian Fashion Works will come out with an exclusive. Maybe we'll get a hold of someone uh, at Lotto or at Mainz who's responsible for designing that jersey. But those things are a work of art. And if I were in that squad, I would be completely motivated and you know be willing to go that extra mile, that extra centimeter, that extra millimeter for everything if I was wearing that kit because those things are a work of art. Um, and I would love to see them get results on that jersey as long as it's not at Bayern's expense and I don't think we play them during carnival season. So... Minds, when you're wearing those kits, have at it. Do Wonder Bread proud. Absolutely. So uh, we are going to take another very quick break, and then we will come back to discuss the one thing that we have all had on our minds throughout this summer, uh, Byron's results in the transfer window. Again, we'll get to that when we come back. We will return to the podcast right after this message. And we are back. Uh, this might be a before-we-go segment, but we're not going to call it that. This is just us analyzing and looking back on the summer transfer window for Bayern Munich as it comes to a close. Now, we won't be talking about Leroy Sané because that has been mentioned almost ad nauseum on this site. So instead, we are going to look at five rumors slash things that actually happened and we are going to share our thoughts on the players and how we thought that this was going to end up. And I can't think of a more perfect way to start this chuckless podcast than to talk about Timo Werner. Ladies and gentlemen, the Timo train has derailed. It will not happen this summer. It may not even happen for the next couple of years as Timo Werner has signed a contract with 
RB Leipzig until 2023. Now, I know Chuck will be hearing this, and don't worry, I won't be slamming Timo Werner nonstop, because as I have said before on this podcast, I like Timo Werner, and I wanted this transfer to happen. The one thing I don't like is the fact that Chuck talks about him absolutely every single podcast and every single subject. He will bring up Timo Werner. You could be talking about flashlights, and he could say, you know what's flash? Timo Werner's style of play like he would be able to work his way into everything so for one I'm kind of sad that Timo was not able to come to Bayern from reports it seems that a personal agreement had been reached between the player and the club and Bayern was keen to sign him for a certain price Leipzig did not want to reach that price. And then with the transfer rumor with Coutinho and Perisic and Werner wanted to be able to play out on the wing, it didn't really seem over time that a transfer to Bayern would be a good thing at this time. Now, I personally am of the belief that Timo Werner is not that great on the wing. And for example... I will bring up his performance in the 2018 World Cup. He seemed a little more natural when he was in the center of the field. And I know that's not what he does right now, seeing as Yusuf Poulsen is the current uh, central attacker for RB Leipzig. But I feel false nine role or just a second striker role would probably be the best for him. And I don't know if that's how Nico Kovac would have used him. And I don't know if that's how he would have wanted to be used as a player. So personally, I think it's a sad thing that Timo didn't come in. But in the long run, I do think that it probably was the best thing that could have happened for both uh, player and club and both clubs alike. So Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah, obviously a lot of what you just said, and I have to start this off by saying I'm so happy that I was the first one uh, in our BFW community to coin the phrase Timo Tears for Chuck. I think he he just very well might have shed a tear watching that uh, Leipzig-Frankfurt game where uh, Timo Werner scored Leipzig's first of two goals en route to their 2-1 win. <laughs> over Frankfurt, you know, the announcement of his contract extension uh, for three years basically came, uh, you know, about an hour, hour and 15 minutes before kickoff to that game. Um, As you just mentioned, I think a lot of things uh, came into play here. I think uh, managing director Oliver Mintzlaff at Leipzig, Marcus Krusch, and uh, Julian Nagelsmann kind of sold Werner on the fact that he's going to be the main guy um, especially up front for RB Leipzig. Julian Nagelsmann being one of the youngest Bundesliga managers, I think he has a way with uh, some of the younger players in Leipzig. Traditionally have done so well uh, with the young team over Hasenhutl, Ranić, and now Julian Nagelsmann. I think his systems really suit. Pacey, uh, players, counterattacking style of players. Werner fits that billing perfectly. And as you said, I think, you know, Werner had to look at this from, do I want to play second fiddle to Robert Lewandowski all the time as a main striker? okay, um, you know, Bayern Munich have reconfigured their transfers based on uh, Leroy Sané's ACL injury. He's going to stay with Man City for uh, at least some time now because he's not going to be back until February. Uh, as you mentioned, he asked, he would have to compete with Muller, uh, Gnabry, Coman, Perisic, now Coutinho um, to break into the uh, the midfield or a wide attacking player behind those guys. And obviously second fiddle to Lewandowski. And I think that combined with the fact that Leipzig absolutely did not want to let him go on a free transfer for what he's worth, 
uh, in valuation, you know, next summer. So I think Timo time will inevitably come to Bayern, um, maybe a year or two down the road, and we can go back to the negotiating table and, uh, you know, see what happens with him. But sorry, Chuck, Timo time will not happen <laughs> right now. Yeah, it's, Chuck's off crying in a corner somewhere, probably rocking back and forth, thinking about Timo Werner wearing red. Uh, so now we're going to move to our next... Uh, I'm going to go with our next two transfers because they make the most sense. They are both loans into Bayern Munich, and of course I would be talking about Ivan Perisic and Philippe Coutinho. I will go to Perisic first. I honestly think this is probably one of the best case scenarios for Bayern Munich. It's a great piece of business with an option to buy him for under 30 million euros at the end of a one-year transfer deal. He's 30 years old. He isn't a goal scorer, but he never really has been throughout his life. He's been more of a playmaker and a setup man than anything else. And he was doing a great job of that at Inter Milan. And I really do think that this was a great opportunity for him to not only work under a manager, which he's worked under before with Niko Kovac, who was the manager of the Croatian national team during the 2014 World Cup, but it also keeps Perisic in top flight football, in Champions League football, and I've seen him rise to the occasion. That and he plays on the left wing most times, and as much as I do appreciate Kingsley Coman, as we saw in this Schalke game, he goes down pretty often and pretty easily, so uh, to have this backup in Ivan Perisic, somebody we didn't, as much as I would have loved to have signed Leroy Sané, we didn't necessarily need Leroy Sané. We didn't need a young and flashy left winger. We needed a left winger that could be good enough to back up our young, flashy, pacey left winger. So we got that in Perisic, and I'm honestly glad that we did. Now, that's not saying I would have preferred Perisic over Sané, but I do think that with this signing, Coman can stay happy and not really fear that his playing time is in jeopardy unless he gets injured or absolutely slumps off, and Perisic gets some quality playing time toward the twilight of his career. Now, for Coutinho, I know that this was something that had a lot of Bayern Munich fans up in arms, but I said something in our Slack channel, and I'd like to say it again. At this point of the transfer window, Bayern Munich were beggars, and beggars can't be choosers. If our best option out there was Philippe Coutinho, then we should have signed Philippe Coutinho, and that's exactly what we did. We didn't sign him long-term. We signed him on loan, which I think was perfect. We do have an option to buy, which can be negotiated down from a Barcelona team that has found multiple different ways to tell Coutinho that they aren't going to use him, which I think is great. Coutinho seems to have really enjoyed being at Bayern Munich, despite reports saying that he would prefer to not go there, and I really think for both Bayern and for Coutinho, this is going to be a great opportunity. My only concern, along with the concerns of a lot of other Bayern Munich fans, is that this may result in Thomas Müller not getting as much playing time. And to that, I say it's all on Niko Kovac, which is not something that I would love to have to say, but to be honest, 
I kind of believe that Kovach knows that Muller is kind of where his bread is buttered for both the fans and on the field because we all know that Muller does better in the center of the field. I think Coutinho even knows that as well after playing against him for years. That And Coutinho also plays on the left wing. So, again, when Kingsley Coman inevitably goes down with an injury, you could have either Perisic there or you could have Philippe Coutinho there. And you could have a front three of Coutinho, Lewandowski, and Serge Gnabry, which sounds wonderful to me with Muller as a second striker slash number nine center attacking midfielder role. So even though Coutinho was deployed in that space, for the one game that he's played in, don't think that that's where he's going to be deployed all the time. And don't think that just because he got brought in, Muller is going to be off. Even Muller has said that he's kind of glad that Coutinho is in. And he said all that matters is that we have the best starting 11 out on the field. And if that includes Coutinho, then that's it. That'll be my rant on those two. Tom, uh, I know that you had some experience rooting for Philippe Coutinho at Liverpool. Uh, so you kind of have some insight into some of his flaws there. Uh, what do you think about this signing? And also share your quick thoughts on Perisic. Yeah, so with Coutinho, uh, as you did mention, he has that versatility to play both, um, as he so often did for Jurgen Klopp's system, his preferred 4-3-3 that he loves so much. Uh, he had the ability to play both as one of those wide attacking players in the front three. Um, you know, before we had Salah in the squad, um, sometimes he would play opposite of uh, Sadio Mane. Um, and then in the 2016-2017 season, famously when we when Liverpool were making their push for the top four, he made the tactical decision to drop him back and play him as one of those middle three um, because of his creative presence on the ball. Uh, you know, a lot of times you know, like Bayern experience, when Liverpool would play teams who were much lower than them on the table, they would really set up those, uh, you know, very tight, compact defensive bunkers, um, and they lacked the creative players up front or the ingenuity at times to, you know, break that down. And having a deeper-lying uh, player like Coutinho in one of those middle three positions can really um, open up the uh, the ability, um, you know, make a clever run, make a clever pass, quick turn of pace, quick change of the direction from the hips. Um, he also has scored a lot of goals. Um, he became very infamous for the corner of the box, um, inside curling shots that he scored a lot of um, in his time at Liverpool. And I think coming to Bayern, again, as you as you emphasize, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but I think for what it's worth, it was one of the best options that was left on the table, especially considering the fact that he seemed really open and um, enthused about the idea of coming to Bayern Munich. I think Nico Kovac will recognize the versatility that he does possess. You know, regardless of if Muller is threatened or not, as you, as you said, this gives uh, Nico Kovac a lot of flexibility with the lineups uh, that he wants to choose and the formations that he wants to choose. What uh, One thing I noticed, I, I really do think I see a lot of Coutinho and Lewandowski linking up. I saw some very brief glimpses of it after Coutinho came on in the match against Schalke. I think the two of them are constantly looking to link up with one another, especially at the top of the box. Uh, there was one particular ball that Lewandowski played through when it was still 2 nothing. that was just a hair you know, too far and too close to Nubel for Coutinho to get anything on. But I really do think um, that those two are going to link up with one another very, very well, and they're constantly going to be looking for one another in the attacking third. And I, I you know, mark my words, I think those two are going to link up quite a bit. Um, and I think he's going to be the perfect presence and the perfect balance, you know, with the other guys in the front, Muller, Gnabry, uh, Coman, Lewandowski. 
you know, all those guys who um, usually play in the front three system of a 4-3-3. And as you said, um, you know, the pedigree and the experience that Perisic brings, you know, I think, I personally think that Kovac, um, Perisic's representatives and Hassan Salihamidzic would have already sat down before this move was complete and gone over his role and what was expected of him at Bayern. I think that he realizes you know, at 30 years of age and with the um, attacking firepower that we already have, that he's going to be maybe quite often uh, a utility player coming off the bench. And I think he understands that. And I think he was ready to accept that role uh, and come back to the Bundesliga. Obviously, everyone will know that he has um, the wherewithal and, you know, the experience in the Bundesliga earlier in his career playing with both uh, Borussia Dortmund and VFL Wolfsburg in between 2011 and 2015 before he went to uh, Inter Milan in Italy so I think you know exactly what to expect with a guy like that you know he I what I saw against Schalke when he came on made his debut making a lot of smart decisions you know nothing too flashy um obviously not as much pace so to speak compared to Gnabry or uh, Kingsley Coman but I think he's a guy who's going to do the right things in the right situations and you know not let the occasions get the better of him because he has that experience uh in you know Europe's top leagues Europe's top competitions but especially um, from his time in the Bundesliga before, and I think just basically tying uh, both Coutinho and Perisic together, just the best the best of a bad situation, and obviously Leroy Sané's injury just completely bamboozling everything. Nonetheless, I think just you know summarizing those two guys, I, I, I see you know one being a bit of a creator and the other one being a stable presence. You know, obviously the creative presence in Coutinho that's going to help us unlock you know a lot of things when we're struggling you know, to create in the final third and then Perisic, a guy who's going to come on, provide that experience, the level head and the stability. Moving on to our next transfer that happened this summer. Uh, Renato Sanchez was recently dealed to French side Lille, marking the end to his time at Bayern Munich. It ends a little bit it ends disappointed as Sanchez came into uh, Bayern Munich with a lot of uh, praise and a lot of potential that he could uh, help the club, that he could be the next great young Portuguese player. And for some people, his potential to do that is still there. I'm not necessarily saying I would be one of them, but Tom, I'm going to let you go first on your thoughts with Sanchez. Yeah, with him, I mean, it's just, it was always flip-flopping and I mean it's too bad we couldn't have done this deal earlier and maybe um made Nicolas Pepe a part of that deal who's who's looked very bright for Arsenal but again I mean it would flip-flop like first Sanchez would be frustrated as a young guy Kovac would sit down and have conversations with him get his head in the right spot he had a couple of very bright games in the preseason in the ICC for us he seemed to be in a good spot part of me is wondering you know uh, Perisic was he had that stupid suspension rule from his last yellow card for Inter Milan last season, so he wasn't available on the bench uh, against Hertha Berlin in Bayern's Bundesliga opener, and Coutinho was just not deemed fit enough to take part in that game, having an extended break from the Copa America uh, with Brazil. But I wonder if either of those two guys were available on the bench, would he have decided to bring on Sanchez in that situation uh, for Serge Gnabry? Um, when we were trying to find a winner, uh, because it was after that game where Sanchez, you know, he was cl- clearly cut a quite frustrated figure. They asked him, you know, do you wanna, do you wanna leave Bayern? And he simply said, yeah, and was just completely demoralized. And then, you know, here we are, a little over a week after that, or excuse me, less than a week after that match, um, and he's gone. 
to Lille uh, in Ligue 1, which I think is a place where he can maybe better exploit uh, his talents. Um, I hope that Galtier finds, you know, the, the room um, in Lille's system. Yeah, with Bayern, it just like one minute he would be completely frustrated. The next minute, Niko Kovac, Uli Honis, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge would back him. He would be all hunky-dory. His head would be in the right place. And then one one or two small things would happen that didn't go his way. People would get on his back, and he would just get so frustrated. So I really hope that this move to Lille works out for him. I, I hate to see a young kid so frustrated like that um, and beating himself up constantly, but um, I think it was the right decision from Bayern's perspective to pull the trigger and, and let him go elsewhere, especially with such a star-studded, compact midfield. So, you know, best of luck to you, Renato. You know, thanks for everything uh, that you've done in a Bayern kit, and hopefully um, Lille suits you well. I'm going to preface this by also saying best of luck to Renato because I really do wish him the best of luck. But I'm going to make this one very quick point. If you can't break into the first team at Swansea City, I don't think that you have the right to demand a first team spot at Bayern Munich. I was really excited in the summer of 2016 when the Euros happened and Renato Sanchez helped Cristiano Ronaldo set that tournament alight and he was named the best young player. But I think that in some ways that boosted his ego to a point where it negatively affected him. In the year after that, he didn't make that much of an impression and then he went on loan. And then when he was on loan to Swansea, he just didn't really seem to take it seriously, often to the point where he was benched for other less talented players. And if you've got a player like Renato Sanchez, you shouldn't be benching him. But if the kid is not performing well, then by all means, every manager has the right to do just that. So it comes to a point, well, do you blame the manager? Granted, the manager was Bob Bradley, and he didn't have a good run at Swansea, but that was for only half the season. So do you blame the manager, or do you blame the player? And after seeing his product both on the pitch at Swansea and then in his two years since then, I'm going to go ahead and blame the player. I'm very glad that Renato Sanchez is no longer on Bayern Munich because I think that after a while, he got a little too full of himself. And for a young player who's really just beginning their career, I think that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. And again, you need to realize, like, yes, of course, he was demanding playing time over players like Sebastian Rudy. And, hell, I would start Renato Sanchez over Sebastian Rudy. But when you're also demanding playing time over Thiago Alcantara and Javi Martinez, or a good Javi Martinez, I should stress, uh, and Leon Goretzka and Thomas Müller and at some points even Arturo Vidal, like, I want to know what's going on in your head at this point because you're a young Portuguese player demanding playing time to both Jupp Heynckes and Niko Kovac. You wanted them to play you over world-class talent, talent that has been developed over years, talent that has won World Cups, and talent that has done well for the national team, right? And you're a, you're a young player. You're just 
I don't even think Renato Sanchez is 25 yet and you're demanding this playing time, right? And then if those of you that want to say that my ego thing was wrong, well, I'll gladly point you in the direction of any of the articles that we've written about his attitude problems, about him shit-talking the team after a win, shit-talking Niko Kovac after a win, uh, saying, like Tom mentioned, that he wants to leave Bayern Munich. And I think that at that point, he's kind of sabotaging his own reputation with the club. And then to do something like that and then say, oh, I need to get more playing time, right? This would be like if it was raise time at your company and you had spent the entire time just bad-mouthing the company and your boss, and then you turn around and get upset when he doesn't give you a raise. Right? So why would Renato Sanchez ever expect to do the same thing? Now, my hope with him going out to Lille, because I hope that as a player he's able to grow and get better, even if it's not with Bayern Munich, because I wish that for every player that used to be on Bayern Munich. I hope that they do better wherever they are. But especially with Renato, right? You look at him and his performance, and I hope that with his time at Lille, he's able to mature and grow and understand some of the things that he may have done wrong at Bayern Munich. Because if he doesn't, then he becomes another Saito Berahino. But even then, Saito Berahino was able to realize that he made some mistakes and grew up from them. So I hope the best for him. I hope that his product on and off the pitch gets better and I hope that he is able to look back on his time at Bayern as a learning experience, and hopefully he is able to turn that into something better. Now, just very quickly before we leave, we're going to talk about uh, one last player. Now, with the report today saying that Jerome Boateng is not going to Roma, that kind of secures that he's going to be at Bayern Munich, but... I guess the only possible transfer that may still happen is Bayern Munich potentially bringing back an old an old friend in the form of Mario Mandzukic. Now, I have no clue why Bayern would ever make a decision like this. We're not playing two strikers up front anymore. Uh, we're not uh, playing even like a second striker offset anymore. So I think with players like Perisic, who could potentially play at striker, and Muller, who could potentially play at striker, I don't know what the point is in signing a 33-year-old striker who has done decently but has been overshadowed by Cristiano Ronaldo and sign him for over 20 million euros. So I don't know. Uh, I don't approve of it, but if it happens, it'll be really interesting to see Mandzukic back uh, trying to get that number nine shirt back. Uh, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think for for Bayern, it would just absolutely have to be uh, if the price is right. You know, I'm sure Mandzukic realizes that um, he might not get a lot of playing time, even if he came back to Bayern Munich um, in the same respect that 
you know, he's behind the likes of Ronaldo, Higuain, Douglas Costa, Miriam Pjanic, Blaise Matuidi, Sammy Kadira, uh, Sammy Kadira, excuse me, at Juventus. Um, not that he would play as a middle three, but uh, Juventus just has such a stacked, you know, star-studded midfield and attacking line. Um, in the same sense where Bayern have Lewandowski, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, Thomas Muller, Perisic, Coutinho. Now, you know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe Bayern would bring him back, you know, in a in a second homecoming or honeymoon, if you will, of sorts. It would be very glamorous. You know, the headlines, I'm sure a lot of Bayern fans would welcome him with open arms, but... Um, I think it would be clear and obvious that he would maybe be a contingency plan or a backup plan for Robert Lewandowski, uh, a guy to bring on, as you mentioned, you know, even under Ancelotti, Jop Heinkes, Nico Kovac, Byron so rarely ever go to two strikers um, unless we were really chasing a game. I think maybe Jop Heinkes had done it a couple times with us uh, throwing Sandro Wagner on if we were, uh, you know, chasing goals in a match who's obviously now off in China collecting a lot of money. That's neither here nor there. You know, I think Mandzukic would realize that whether he's going to be, um, as you said, utilized as a second striker, tucked just behind the striker, maybe even a wide player as he's done before uh, for both Bayern and Juventus, I think that he realizes it would be uh, as an auxiliary uh, or a utility role. And I, I think the only the only way Bayern would get this over the line and pull the trigger uh, prior to September 2nd, as I said, is if the price is right. I think the last thing I had seen touted around was somewhere around 17 million euro to bring him back. I'm not sure if that would be steep um, or if that would be something that really, um, you know, gets Bayern to, you know, take a second look. But um, it looks as if to me it's very uh, fleeting at best. You know, you you don't want to take the glamour and, you know, the, 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 you know, the homecoming feel out of it. You know, it would be a very cool thing for him to come back for a lot of Byron fans. So with the days winding down, it is very unlikely to see if that happens. But if the news about it breaks, you would definitely see it on our website, BavarianFootballWorks.com. And with that, I think that that would be a great place to wrap up this podcast. Tom, thank you very much for coming on. For everybody out there, you can be sure to... Follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. You can find me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Tom, where can they find you? As I've said before on the pod, uh, they can always find me um, at BavarianFBWorks. I'm always one of the guys uh, behind a lot of the tweets that we that we do. Um, and at this point, I do have my own personal handle. I keep on saying that I'll like check in there once or twice. But since uh, the podcast works has started, I still haven't done that. So the first time I go on to my at Tommy Adams 71, I'm at this point, it's been built up so much. I'm going to have to do something like incredibly ridiculous. And I don't even know what that's going to be now. Maybe maybe it'll be a Mines Carnival jersey giveaway or something like that to really make people happy. But eventually I will get around to that until then at Bavarian Football Works. And be sure to keep your eyes on Bavarian Football Works' Twitter account. We will be bringing back Ask BPW for our next show. So be sure to submit us your questions using that hashtag for the next episode. And as always, for all of the latest and greatest German and Bayern Munich soccer content, be sure to check out the blog BavarianFootballWorks.com. So with that, thank you very much from all of us here at the podcast division for listening and downloading be sure to download subscribe follow and rate us on apple Podcasts, spotify and anywhere else that you get your high quality audio content and until next time we will see you all later auf wiedersehen